It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to Accelerate. This is another episode of Frontline Fridays with my special guest, Bridget Gleason. Bridget, how are you today? I am doing great. Andy, how are you and where are you? Well, I'm in New York and yeah, I'm a, I have to admit I'm a little tired this morning because uh, I, well, I, I, spent, I spent some time with, with the boss yesterday and uh, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard spending time with the boss. I hope everybody knows what you, who you mean when you say <laughs> the boss. I know who you mean when Bruce. you say the boss. And I also saw a little bit on Facebook so that I knew you may be a tad bit tired this morning. Yeah. So we, yes, I'm in, in the, the New York office today. And yeah, last night uh, sort of was a little bit of a belated birthday present. My wife uh, took me to go see the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Mm. At the oh, Meadow, but that was at, fantastic. At the Meadowlands in New Jersey. I don't think there's anything better than seeing the boss in New Jersey. Mm. And uh, yeah, it it was yeah, first of all, he's in concert, he's always amazing. And which is something we I definitely want to talk about today, because I think there's a a sales lesson there. But yeah, it it jam-packed Meadowlands. Um yeah, it's one of the things we, <laughs> as I get older, I, I want to, I like going to concerts so I don't have to stand the whole time. But so I, you know. You don't back, have to admit that to the well, wider public. Yeah, but so I, so I wanted. already have. Well, I've got a bad back. And yeah, so, uh, yeah, I wanted to see. But the fact is, you know, a Springsteen concert, you never sit down anyway. So mm. uh, we, we could have been on the infield for it, and that, all that mattered. But just, uh, you know, you look at the guy, he's 67 years old. You know, by the time this episode airs, he's, I think, on September 23rd, actually. It was a month from the night of the concert. Turns 67. Plays four hours, just under four hours, just like three hours and 55 minutes. And never leaves the stage once. Impressive. And plays to the audience, plays in the audience, you know, is... <laughs> was on and off the stage constantly working his way through the audience. For anybody that's seen him perform either live or seen a concert performance on you know, HBO or something, high, high energy. And the thing that, that impressed me is I was thinking back to the first time I had seen him in concert, which was a long time ago. We're talking decades do you don't need to you don't need to admit it, Andy. I <laughs> and think it's better actually if you don't. Where he was, he was, you know, obviously much younger. And it was the same level of energy. That's the thing that was just mind-blowing. Is is here decades later, it was as high as intensity. His commitment to the audience was the same as it had always been. Uh, you know, song selection obviously was a little bit broader and, and deeper, given that he's expanded his his uh you know, archive of songs since then, but just, yeah, a great, a great experience. But uh, the thing that I was sitting there, you know, conscious of watching and, and thinking about when I was, was watching was a, just, he wasn't phoning it in. Mm -hmm. 
right? I mean, how many times has the guy played Born to Run? <laughs> I mean, probably countless at this point. And yet, there was still, you didn't have a sense, because now, you know, we've got these huge video screens that, that surround the stage. I mean, in some respects, it almost felt like you're watching a movie, but, but you know, close up on his face. I mean, he's not phoning it in. He's, he, you think, oh my God, you know, put a gun to me and shoot me if I had to play that song again. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. You could tell. So I was just like, wow. I mean, there's, there's some lessons there, right? Because think about it from a salesperson's perspective. I was just talking to one a couple days ago, a sales rep, yeah, fighting this sort of boredom factor saying, well, gosh, I've, I've been in this job for two, three years. Yeah. Making the same sales calls over and over. You know, sort of thinking that perhaps yeah, he wasn't really paying attention the way that he should be or that he was just sort of going through the routine, which is death to a salesperson when you get to that point. I mean, you can't, you can't do that. And then, you know, as I said, you watch Springsteen, it's like how I many thousands of times he's played so many of these songs and yet was bringing a, like I said, a verve, a commitment, an intensity to it that, that was palpable. You know, I, I think it, it, it's such a, uh, an interesting comparison, Andy. First of all, geez, the bar is so high when you think about bringing that level of compassion and uh, passion and intensity and, and enthusiasm and energy. Anybody compared to Bruce Springsteen. So let's just level set. Okay, we are talking the gold standard here. Sure. But in terms, but nevertheless, I think one of the things that I, I think makes a difference is he's so passionate. He loves what he does. He loves what he does. It would be, I would argue, impossible for him to be doing this at age sixty-seven with that intensity, with that energy, with that commitment, with that excitement, with that level of engagement if he didn't truly love what he was doing and just, and I'm sure there are lots of pieces of it that he doesn't love. And I think that's the same with every sales job, any job, there are going to be pieces you, you don't like, but there has to be enough of it that you feel passionate about that you can maintain the energy and, and intensity uh, year after year, right. So, and I, I, so one of the comparisons you know, that was springing to mind as I was watching was that he was playing the concert like it was, you know, his first, right? Like he had to make an impression. So here's, you know, arguably one of the most famous, successful musicians, uh, songwriters, uh, you know poet laureate of a certain generation for the, for us and in the U.S. that, you know, it was, like I said, it was like, he doesn't have to make a, a uh, an impression, you would think, right? You would think that people already have this, you know, view of him that, that you know, they idolize him, they, they love him for his music and so on. But he played it like he had to make a strong impression on you. And I think that's, you know, that lesson for sales is, you know, gosh, you know, every time you have that opportunity, you know, to interact with a, a prospect, a customer, you know, it should be like it's your first time. You know, it should be like, 
yeah, I've, I've got to go that extra mile to really bring it for these people and not sort of the repetitive, oh my gosh, you know, making the same sales call that I've made a million times before. You know, Andy, I used to, when I was doing a lot of sales training, there was one question I would have on just sort of a fun pre-quiz. And the question was, can an experienced salesperson who's been doing it for 20 years wing it on a sales call? And the answer is, yeah, an experienced salesperson can wing it, but an experienced salesperson doesn't wing it. And they continue to prepare and they continue to bring that intensity. They continue to bring that energy. And I think that's what you see, saw last night with Bruce Bruce Springsteen, the boss. He didn't have to go prove anything to anyone. People know who he is. He could call it in, but he's a professional. And so he doesn't. And I think that's a really good lesson for any of us, no matter where we are in our career, there are going to be things that we feel like are easier. We've got it, or I don't need to prove it. Don't they know who I am? Or don't they know they're my product? Or, but if each time you approach it as this is someone, this is a, this is a brand new person who I'm engaging with, who may not know who I am or what my product is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go win it sort of at each each stage i think you'll see more that you'll see more success yeah yeah i mean i think and there's a couple of other points along the same lines is is not only was he playing it like it was his first concert but i think he was playing it like it was his last as well god what a great point and so when you think about it from a sales standpoint yeah you know we all have a legacy Right. I mean, it's not like people are going to write about us in history books or so on, but we do have we do have a legacy that follows us. You know what? What do we want that last impression to be? That last first impression we make. You know, what's that last deal we're working on? Uh, yeah, we. What would we want that to be? Well, we don't want that to be a defeat because we weren't prepared or a, a loss because we were trying to wing it. As you said, you know, as we get more experienced, as we get you know, progress through our careers, we understand, hopefully, more and more of the importance of that preparation, that practice, that that commitment, that being in the moment, that commitment to the customer to be able to provide something of value to them, to help them achieve a certain task. I think that's, to me, again, another one of the real takeaways from watching Bruce perform is, was that. Is, he played it like it was his last concert. Yeah, I'd never thought about that. And that is it. That's also a really great way to to think about it, Andy, is because when you think about it as this could be my last, it brings, yeah, you start to think about what kind of legacy do I want to leave here? What do I want this final impression to be? I, I like the context in which you then frame that. Yeah, because I, we all, what's that? We all have it. But we're making it every time we talk to a customer, that legacy. Which is really, we can all sort of translate that as it really is our reputation. So we're all concerned about our reputation, what people think we about us. We should be. We should be, we right? We should be. We I mean, should it's not, be. It's not like we, you know, I know there's some people that take it too far and are paralyzed by fear of what others think. But, you know, at some level or another, we all are concerned about that. We all think about that. 
So we have the ability to influence that. And it's not uh, on occasion, you know, to maintain the reputation. It's what do we do each and every time that we have that opportunity to create that impression, to create that, that, that reputation. And, it's, and it is, it is a daily practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, yeah, it's not a skill. It's a behavior. We're going to, we're going to spend some more time talking about that in, in some upcoming episodes, but you know, it's, it's, it's a behavior. And I think that's the, the thing that's really critical. It's a habit. That's really critical for sales professionals to really focus on and managers as well is there's all this emphasis in my mind on overemphasis on skills training when what really drives the ship and really drives success, I believe are habits. And in the case of Bruce, you know, performing that level of intensity and commitment and, and passion is, as you said, he's a professional. It's a habit. Yeah, and some of that, Andy, you know, habits are formed by doing something over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And not just doing something over and over and over in any way, shape, or form, but doing it over and over and over with a level of excellence. So it's making sure that what is becoming habit is what you want to become a habit and not it's, it, it, it's it's not something that is uh, unintentional, let's say, because what you don't want is to develop a lot of bad habits or sloppy behaviors that then become habitual. Uh, you know, being late is it's a personal pet peeve of mine, but mm-hmm. that can just become a habit. It just becomes habit, and that's that's an example of something that becomes a behavior that's negative if you're not deliberate about what about, about the habit that you're trying to create. Well, and in sales, an there's a whole bunch of them. Right. I'm sorry. And that's one example of one that's that's especially in sales that's self-centered as opposed to customer-centric. Right. I'm late. Mm-hmm. I'm always late. I'm not saying not me personally. I'm saying that hypothetically because I'm like you. I'm pretty pretty exacting when it comes to being on time. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. Well, if someone is saying that it's acceptable to be a few minutes late, oh, that's just the way I am. What they're saying is, yeah, I don't care about you. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday, Andy. I was uh, had a meeting with one of the early, very well-respected, prominent VCs in the area. Someone who, boy, I just have so much admiration for him. And you know, of course, I showed up early. He was right on time. And I only had one hour. And I had a meeting after that. And one would argue, or in my mind, one could say it was a lesser meeting. Eh, it's not that important. It's, but it was with another, another individual that I had made a commitment to. Mm-hmm. And I remember at watching, watching, my, watching the time and making sure that I let, no matter, even though this meeting was very important to me, and maybe if I was a few minutes late at the other end, who cares? It doesn't really matter. But I made sure that I left the meeting with the VC at the time that I needed to. And I said, you know, I've got another commitment that I don't want to be late for. And I felt like our conversation wasn't long enough, but that's the amount of time we had. Mm-hmm. And I made sure that I was on time to the next, to the next one. And I think 
you know, for me, just listening to you talk about habits and behaviors, that is really ingrained in me that I make a commitment and it actually doesn't matter so much who that commitment is to. I make a commitment to an individual who I'm going to respect his or her time. And um, I've, I am r- really a stickler on it. And I think there are a lot of those in sales that sometimes, you know, it's hard to keep it. We may want to, ah, I don't really need to prepare for this one. Or, okay, so I'm a few minutes late here. Or, God, I didn't do all the due diligence I needed. Nah, it's not going to be, it's not that big a deal. But to treat every single one like it's a big deal, I think is really important. I agree, hundred percent. I mean, one of the lost arts, I think, that you don't see people practice anymore. And, and I hate to admit this to some degree, but this was ingrained in me by by my my mom is is that when I was out as a high schooler and starting to date and you know go out with friends and so on, is if I wasn't going to be home on time, I had to call and tell them ahead of time I wasn't going to be home on time, and when I was going to be there. No, I had a curfew. I mean, so I guess I've gotten that happened. To me, it's still to this day. If I've got a meeting scheduled or a call or something, and you know, I'm going to be late for reasons that are you know beyond my control. Yeah, you know, I'm sending a text message. I'm sending an email. I'm calling people and saying, you know, hey, excuse me, I'm just going to be five minutes late. I'm on the way, so on and so forth. Just because you know, I I, I just. Being in that that space of time where no someone's supposed to be somewhere and no one's there and you don't know what's going on, you know, I hate being on either end of that. And I know our customers do as well. Yeah, and you know, Andy, I hear reps, especially early on, is it really that big a deal? These little things, is it really that big a deal? A spelling error, my grammar's not good, <laughs> that I take a little extra time, that I'm a couple minutes late, that I... but. All of these little things are actually the things that add up to how someone perceives you and are you trusted and what is your reputation. And so I have a resounding yes, the little things matter. Oh, they're actually not little things. They're actually right. They're not little things. And there's sort of an example of that last night with with watching Springsteen is is Again, clearly they've played all these songs a bazillion times, but you know this is a tightly rehearsed show, right? As much as there's sort of an air of spontaneity about it, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's like Bruce is famous for his encore sets. I mean, they the encore sets are longer than most performers' regular sets. Mm. I mean, he came and played. I think it was two hours and forty-five minutes, roughly. You know, with hey, good night, and then. You know, they don't even bother with the pretense of calling the artist back to stage. He never left the stage. The lights dim for a second, and then he's right back up. And then it's yeah, another hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes of, yeah, tightly choreographed, practiced. But at one point during the, the set, yeah, he was pausing for somebody. And he kept, before he started the song, he kept looking to the back. And I, I wasn't clear who he was looking at. It may have been a string section that they brought in to play on some songs, or it may have been. Uh, a second keyboardist that he has, but it was over the course of it was almost sort of an awkward silence after because he turned back several times and said, "Are you ready now? <laughs> yeah, you know, are you ready now?" Funny. And 
yeah, he probably could have started the song. I mean, but but you know, it it had to be right. The detail was really important. Yeah, it's those it's those details. The the other thing about practice, Andy. I mean, I when I've got a presentation. And like you, I, I do a, a bit of public speaking when I'm presenting to a customer or a prospect. I practice. Do you know how long I've been selling, Andy? A long time. And I practice. I know exactly how long. I'm a runner. I know. Well, let's not talk about it. Um, I'm a runner. And so oftentimes when I'm running in the morning, I go really early. Thank God it's pitch black so nobody can see this crazy person running, talking to herself out loud. I will go through it in my head because I need to have memorized Most of the time, I, I feel like I need to have at least memorized it, even if I have notes. And I practice, and I practice, and I practice, and I practice, and I practice. And again, one would argue, at my ripe old age, I know, I know some stuff. Maybe I don't need to practice. But I, I continue to practice. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you were talking about with... Bruce Springsteen. I'm sure he did a lot of practice before he went out and got out there on stage. Oh, I'm sure they practice between shows, even. Uh, I would imagine that they probably are watching watching video of their performance and saying, "Okay, what went well? What what didn't what didn't go well?" Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, that part really sort of again drives me a little bit crazy when I see presentations that. Or demonstrations, demos that people are doing that, yeah, just don't have that practiced flow to it. You know, what you're telling is a story, right? Much like each song Springsteen sang, the whole concert as a whole was a story. You know, we have that obligation, you know, when we're making a presentation, is we're telling a story. We gotta understand how it flows. You can't just, I mean, it's, there's some people that are good at improv, but, uh, you know, it's hard to improv a 45-minute presentation to a customer or to a, a public audience without them knowing it. And if that's the case, you're not going to get many opportunities to go back and repeat that. Yeah, and I think improv is also really important, being able to think on your feet. So I think that's another skill that's important and can also be practiced. But being good at improv doesn't mean that you don't need to be good at the presentation. Yes, well, I agree. And, the and right, and for people listening to this, if they didn't catch my episode, my interview with um, Kathy Sallet, which uh, was sort of mid-August, uh, you need to go back and listen to that because her whole business is based on uh, training people, salespeople, and others in business how to use improv to improve their performance. And it was a fascinating talk, and she's got a great a great book called Performance of a Lifetime that people should check out. A plug for one of my own episodes. There you go. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And it's a great, great, great conversation and, and some very simple tools uh, that, that you don't think about. Cause you know, one of the keys of improv and I'll just dive into one of them that, that really stuck with me is uh, when we talk with people and they ask us a question, you know, a lot of times we say yes, but, you know, there's some sort of caveat or something onto it. And this is just, you know, one little thing. But I think if you look at your own speech and the way we do things, people may ask us a question and we'll say yes, but. And in improv, you know, the rule is when they're on stage, somebody says something to them. Yeah, 
the response is yes and you know they build on that yes and and so just look at that difference between if you start answering questions from customers even if it wasn't completely on point but something that you want to build on instead of saying yes but we do things a little bit differently say yes and on top of that you know have you considered you know this way of doing things and it makes the conversation completely different yeah, it's so different. One little word, and it changes the whole tone of the conversation from something that it could be perceived as argumentative, but well, but to building to on op- a topic to opening, and yes, to opening. and yeah. right, yes, and that's that's expansive as opposed to yes, but which is is you know closing things off. And that was just that one little thing from improv that I thought was was a fascinating tip. Yeah, that's great. That's a great reminder. Yeah, and if you keep sort of using that, dish, Kathy uses the the metaphor sort of of jazz, you know, that we're you're riffing and expanding, you know, based on what someone had said before with the yes and, and improv does that as well. And so if you sort of view conversations as a form of jazz improvisation, it's, it's a very, very, very clever metaphor. Hmm. I'm going to check out that episode because I don't think I've heard that one, Andy. So I'm going to go back and find it. All right, we'll give you a quiz the next time that we talk. Perfect. 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 I love quizzes. I love quizzes. I'm not kidding. I love quizzes. I love tests. I was a, you know. You were one, you were one of those, school. right? I yes. was one of those. You're I know. One. I hate to admit it, but anybody who knows me know that's, knows that's the case. Yeah, that was not me. That was not me. Not a, not a big fan of pop quizzes. but So, anyway, to sort of sum this up, I have a couple of recommendations for people. One is. If you get a chance, go see Springsteen live and in person. If you haven't done so already, put it on your bucket list. Even if you're maybe not the biggest Springsteen fan, which which I am, though actually compared to some of the people at the stadium last night, I paled in comparison. Ah. <laughs> and one of the things that was most fascinating about this concert was, perhaps not unsurprisingly, there were a lot of, of gray hairs there. But we saw some three-generation families in the crowd. Yeah, I believe it. And, I believe it. And a lot of two-generation families, including a woman who was probably late 30s, early 40s with a late teenage year son, mm. that both of them knew the words to absolutely every song. And this was this was true throughout the audience. It it just maybe it's just because it was Jersey, but yeah, everybody, all generations loved it, knew you know, knew the words, knew the music. Yes, yeah, it was, it was uh, spectacular. Anyway, if you get a chance to see Bruce, see Bruce, and then pay attention to to him as a performer and relate it to how you perform as sales, because we are performers in sales, whether we want to be or not, and and see if you can draw some of those same lessons from watching him that I did. Sounds good, Andy. All right, so makes me want to fly out to Jersey. Well, it's he's not going to happen. But. Well, he's got a show. Tomorrow night and next week at the Meadowlands. So uh, you still have an opportunity. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah, let me know if you're coming. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this has been another episode of Frontline Friday. I sure appreciate everybody joining us. As always, if you have any questions uh, about anything at all related to sales, make sure you email them to me at andy at zerotimeselling.com. And Bridget and I will take those on the air. Bridget, lovely to speak with you as always. Uh, Likewise. Have a great day, Andy. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the show. 
If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.